You are listening to the Bug Bucks Podcast, hosted by Solomon Earhart and Alan Draper, where they will discuss scaling and growing your pest control company with the goal of helping you become a bug money millionaire. Everyone, welcome to the Bug Bucks Podcast. I'm Alan Draper. I'm the owner of Proof Pest Control. I got my man Saul here with me. What's up, Saul? Not much, Alan. How you doing? Good. Just out here grinding on some episodes, man. We're starting to get some content out and I'm hearing good things from our listeners. So, and that's what it's all about, right? I know. I'm loving it. I know we just, what was it? 3000 episode downloads the other day. Yeah. And we just had our biggest week in just weekly episodes. People are listening. I had somebody reach out to me today and he said, I haven't been able to catch up. Are there any that I should listen to? And I'm like, yeah, you should listen to all of them. Those are the ones that you should listen to. From start to finish, baby. We've had just some amazing people on here, man. It's, it's been super exciting to hear some of these stories. And then also just like, it's interesting to see that like everybody has like their little niches within the industry, right? With each company or however they are in the, in the industry. Yeah. They're all great at like specific little things. It's so interesting because we talk all the time, especially like PCOs just starting out kind of you know, sole owner operators, they're trying to do so much. I mean, we were just talking about that yesterday. You know, they try to take all these things on, but it's really, we we all have certain strengths that it's like, we need to really make sure we can capitalize and delegate ourselves down to where we're really doing what we're the best at. I know you use a, a line that I love. It's like, when you're starting out, you do what you have to do. What's the one that you do until you get to the point where you can do what you love to do? Yeah. And it's true. That's a huge concept that a lot of early entrepreneurs and PCOs don't understand or that they have a tough time following through on. And and that is, if you're wanting to scale a company, the fastest way to get there and the best way to build your company is to put you in a position where you're adding the most value to it. As an owner, you can do things for your company that others... And it's not necessarily because of skill, but because of this combination of passion and buy-in and all these things... And I remember my very first year in business, tech you know, did something really stupid. I can't remember what it was. And it was at that moment that I realized that the employees, at least at that time in Proof, they didn't have the same level of buy-in. And it was like, oh, okay. Like, it's like with your kids, man. Like, You think your kids are like... I always tell my kids, I'm like, you're special to me, but you're not special. <laughs> yeah, it's like as soon as you get out of this house, no one's going to love you unless you're a gentleman, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And so because of that that nature of business, the entrepreneur needs to get to that position where they're adding value because they care like nobody else. And I do think it's super important for, you know, guys like us and and anyone really starting out in their business that it's like you really do have to like almost have held all those positions or or learn those failures, right? It's like I remember the first year when Aruza started, me and Jordan, it was just us. We were selling, we were servicing our own stops. So like we would go out, drive around, hit it, you know, five, six customers a day, and then usually sell three to six around us as we were servicing. And I remember it was the first time I had ever 
experienced pest control in the winter, right? And we had the 50-gallon tanks on the back. Mm -hmm. And it was like the first real cold day in Charlotte. And we wake up to go out and go service our houses. And our tanks are completely frozen. (laughs) (laughs) So, we like had to go like park in the sun for the whole afternoon and like get a really long gym session until the the sun had warmed up. And then go out and spray our houses. It was like, man, it's like these little things you like never think of that type of stuff when you're just getting going. But you know, yeah. those are the things you learn, but we're going to record a series of episode recaps. So we're going to go through, this is part one of two for our listeners, part one of two. So make sure to listen to both of them. We're going to recap episodes six and seven in, in this part. And then in part two, episodes eight and nine. And what the goal is, is to kind of pull out the most important pieces of those episodes. So before we dive in, make sure you guys are following us so that you're notified when these episodes are released and go ahead and leave us a review and let us know if there's a topic. We've been hearing a lot from our guests about topics that we can cover that would help their companies and we're taking it to heart. So we're actually doing that. We're starting to plan some episodes around specific topics and questions that our listeners have. So make sure to reach out to us. Also, I haven't said it in a while, but make sure to add us on the Start and Grow Your Pest Control Company Facebook group. If you're not in there, we're pushing up on 2,000 members. So it's becoming this great platform for scaling your company, asking legal questions, kind of more business type. We'll get the occasional, hey, what product should I use for this? Or I have these German roaches in an apartment complex downtown. What should I do about them? That type of thing. But our platform is more for you know the scale side and the business side of pest control. So make sure to join that. Yeah. And I mean, in that Facebook group, I mean, what me and Alan have been able to do a lot of is network people with the right people in the industry, right? It's like exactly. the one guy today about a collection agency... Mm-hmm. He reached out to me, and and I'm going to get him connected with uh, Arms, you know, collection to you know to set up that through For field sure. routes. You know, it's like you know, Alan and I through our years of doing this, we've got a pretty extensive network of people in the industry who can help you out, make sure they lead you the right direction, not you know sell you some crap that you don't really need, which obviously happens a lot in this industry as well too, and everything sounds super nice and shiny yeah. when you're just starting out and running a yeah, business, exactly. but. It all adds up and that bottom line will get deteriorated really quickly. So, 100%. Let's get started here. Oh, I was going to tell you. So, our operations team, every year we have a like a summit where we bring out the managers and we do some training, have some fun. And we go to different places. We went on a cruise one year. One year, we've been to Vegas a couple of times because that works really well. We try to go to areas that, you know, the weather's a little nicer, get our folks out of Detroit and Long Island and Massachusetts, Denver, little warmer weather. But we've been working on some sponsors and this is completely off topic, but I thought it was really cool. We had a sponsor and I don't know what the exact dollar amount is, but they're... And I can't remember, to be honest, who the sponsor was. It was some type of vendor. I think it was a chemical vendor, but they're sponsoring us like three to $5,000 for our summit where they're just pitching yeah. in. They come speak to us for a little bit. And so it's like, that's awesome because we're going to pass all that on to our guys, you know, our Hell team. Yeah. So they get cooler swag. We get to stay at a nicer place, whatever. So excited about that. That's a big thing that a lot of people, you know, especially when you're just starting out, don't really realize those resources you have. So like we're doing a training boot camp as well too here on the 2nd and the 3rd of December. 
we've worked with all of our product reps too. So we got entomologists coming out from BASF to teach about ants and termites and, and the Trilona stations. And we got Syngenta coming doing spray schools. We've got all these vendors coming out and, you know, they're sponsoring as well too, all the food and prizes and some uh, awards and stuff like that as well. It's just fun for the guys. I mean, they love it. They get to come out, you know, do a little happy hour type of thing and get to know some of the other technicians from the industry. So the relationships in this industry will do huge dividends if you take care of them, right? I feel like, and you've probably seen this too, and we've all been victim of it too. When you're just starting out, it's like, you want to try to like nickel and dime your vendors as much as possible. Like, eh, I want to get the best prices. Da, 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 da. And it's like, really, you don't end up getting the best prices until you became a company that is providing that much value back to the organization yeah. in order for them to give you those great prices and they all can do it. Which what the most important thing is to do is to build a relationship with that rep that you have, right? Because they're the one that's going to go fight for you on those prices and don't just try to jump back and forth. Like I did that in the beginning and I think it really bit me in the butt kind of in the initial Same. going. And now it's like my product rep, I mean, you know, she takes great care of me and she's always going to fight and get me the best pricing. And, you know, we've had, I mean, almost no price increases so far, you know, over the last year and going into this next year, which is huge, especially in, in the pandemic and the supply chain shortages yeah. that we have. No, it's true. And, and sometimes it's not about the price. We have a great relationship with our product vendor. And when other people were having a hard time getting certain products or equipment, we weren't. And actually, she called and told us that it was coming months before it was public knowledge. She's like, hey, you need to just load up on flow zones or whatever. And you know, it made a difference. The same thing happened with my banking relationship. It was kind of on the rocks right before COVID hit. And so I canceled a line of credit that we had just for growth mainly to have some cash available if I didn't want to use our own cash or for whatever reason. We didn't have a balance. I just canceled it. And then COVID happened. And I wanted to like triple my AdWords spend because everybody was like backing out. And I saw this opportunity. And I remember Genius. Baker telling me, don't ever do that to yourself. You always have to have the relationship and you have to have access to the funds or the equipment or the products or whatever before you need them. And I was such a penny pincher that I was focused on saving a few bucks versus like seeing what could come from it. So it's crucial. I mean, I, you know, our uh, vehicle vendor did the same thing for us. She's like, look, vehicles are almost becoming impossible. She's like, I yep. got this company that just backed out of 90 vans. It's the only NV 200s in the whole entire, you know, North America right now. How many do you want? I'm like, I'll take as many as you can get me. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. It makes a difference. So let's recap some of these. So episode six, we had Dawn Daggett. She's just like well-known in the pest control business. She's been around since like, I don't know, early 2000s, I think. Yep. And there's a few things that, that I took away. We made a list here. So we talked a lot about language that we use. We talked a lot about collection language. People don't like to hear like, hey, your card is declined or you have a past due balance, right? And she used the phrase, I'm just calling to clear up that balance. looks like you might've gotten a new card or something. You kind of give them an out. Oh yeah, yeah, I did, right? Yep. And they're going to be more likely to pay you. Yeah. We talked about this too, but it's like, and we've all been there at one time or another. And even if it was something as simple as like your card expired or whatever the case may be, or just a 
random error, but it's like you're at the grocery store line and the lady's like, oh, your card's declined and there's a line of people behind you and you're just like, even though you know, okay, I got money in there, it's just some weird thing going on or maybe I swiped it wrong, but it's just like instantly you get like that gut feeling inside. You're like, oh, you know, and it's like, no, even if you're on the phone with somebody, nobody wants to hear that. So, you really want to make it as like nonchalant as possible. And just like we always say in sales, it's like you want to assume the sale. Like you want to assume that this person maybe forgot that their card, you know, was updated or whatever. They want to pay their balance. Yeah. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, exactly. And what I've found is like, especially within the system, right? There's those, the messages that are going to get sent out automatically, whether it's SMSs, whether it's emails, right? They're going to usually go out at different date intervals, right? I've set up a pretty extensive like collection triggers within field routes for our customer base to make sure that we're collecting on our debts and things like that. I really, I think I did some research online, like Google's got all kinds of extensive stuff out there that you can dig into and spend, you know, hours going into. But I found all these like great wordings and ways to word these past due balance messages, whether it was SMS or or email to where it was just very nonchalant, you know, very just conversational. I mean, dude, that's huge. Like, and we were kind of talking about it before we were, we started digging into Don's episode, but you're able to do that, Saul, because you're in a position where you can spend time working on your, on your business. And it's those types of things that really clear and precise communication that make a big difference. If you were out doing services, you wouldn't have the time to like start Googling phrases and finding out what's the best way to collect or get a new card or sell or whatever it is. What's the best way to communicate this message? And those little things separate the guys and gals that do really well in this industry from the, from the rest. Yeah. So, like I pulled up this uh, email that we have here. And, and so, we send this email out at 30 days past due for our residential customers. And so, the title of the email is just waiting to hear from you, right? So, mm-hmm. like very nonchalant. And it starts out like, hey, we know that life can be difficult. Sometimes staying on top of bills and invoices is not always easy. That's why we wanted to send you a friendly reminder regarding your past due balance and the amount of blank. It's just 30 days Love past it, due. If there's anything we can do to serve you, let us know, right? Like, Super easy. And then give them a link to where they can go pay the balance online Dude, so they don't even really have to call you back. But that's just yeah, one that's of like so smooth. 20 different triggers. So you can get really creative, you know, collecting on these balances, which no one likes to make collection calls anyways, right? Like right. if you're a PCO, the last thing you want to do is sit there and try to collect on debts, <laughs> right? These systems allow so much automation that it's like, even if you just spent a few days automating a lot of these trigger rules or things like that within whatever CRM you use. It's like then you can free yourself up to to focus on the other ROI stuff like getting out there and selling accounts or or caring for your customers. Dude, and now's such a great time for that, right? Now is the ultimate time to work on things that are important but not urgent. Right? These yep. systems, working on developing these automated systems that, you know, come June, July, August, they're already in place. But you've spent the time in the off season getting them set up, making sure that your communication is direct and clear. That email is awesome, dude. It's just, yeah. it's non intrusive. And what's cool is with the, that type of communication, you're going to retain good customers, right? Everyone's going to have customers that don't pay. And the idea, a lot of people will hound them and chase them. And I think you need to 
to some extent, right? But there's going to be a contingency. And part of the process is just figuring out who's who, right? Yep. Is it somebody that will eventually pay me? Then I'm going to send the 30-day follow-up. And then I'm going to do a call after 45 days. And then I'm going to do, right? You absolutely need to do that. But you got to get to the point where you're separating like, hey, and it's hard for early people because they're like, hey, I'll take any customer I can get, which I totally understand. But after a while, it's like, man, I, per- you know, the owner personally spent six, eight hours on that customer this month. <sighs> Maybe yeah, it's not worth it. Worth it. Yeah. And the best thing about automation is it scales very easily. Right? Exactly. <laughs> and I like- think people have a hard time because in the beginning, it takes a lot more time, right? Than just sending one message out, doing the research, finding out what the best language is to communicate the message, going through and setting up the triggers and all this stuff. Of course, you could have just sent one email, two emails, three, four, five, six, maybe eight. But once you're like three, 400 deep, right? Yeah. A thousand, whatever, that thing's yep. still clicking along and you're not putting any time into it really. Exactly. And what you find is like, with the language that you use, it really does affect the customer, right? So like we'll see text messages come in from a customer and it probably came from one of these triggered SMSs or, or emails and they're like, oh man, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like it, things have been crazy busy. Like I'm, I'm going to get the payment for you guys. Just, you give me a few days and, and I'll get it done, right? And they do. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, we're not like hounding them like, pay your freaking bill, <laughs> you know. Or, yeah, baseball or we're going to show up at your door. house. Exactly. Yeah. You know, which I feel like when you're just starting out, like you're kind of like that. Like there's definitely been a few times where I'd like, well, I'm in the neighborhood. Let me just show up and, and, yeah. you know, collect this debt. Done that. Right. So done that for sure. Well, cool. Yeah. With Dawn, we talked a little bit about, I mean, we talked about communication and then we talked about some of those, those no no words. What it does is it changes the brand. Right. And that's one yep. way that you can separate yourself as a pest control company. And what are some of those no-no words? What are some words that you guys don't use in your sales or operations process? You know, I mean, some of the big ones you want to stay away from are chemicals or, you know, cancel. There's so many. And and I know you've done a better job at identifying this brand voice thing than I have yet. Even though it's like ever since we had that episode with Bianca, it's been on the top of my mind. I'm like, man, we really need to invest the time into sitting down and really going through these things. Yeah. And it's like everything from what does it sound? Do your people say the exact same thing when they answer the phone? The exact same thing, right? And the process is similar up to a point or whatever. And then you can have call trees that branch out, but the exact same thing to start a phone call, the exact same thing to end it. Think about going to Chick-fil-A, right? It's always like my pleasure and like just they have their way of saying things. And it's the same with us. So you can incorporate it on different levels. You can incorporate it with specific words, right? We don't say, I can tell. I have a lot of exterminator buddies that are going to be laughing at this stuff. We don't say spray. We don't yep. say kill, mutilate. You know, We don't say problem. Like, hey, we're going to take care of that problem. No one really likes to admit that they have a problem. But yep. if you say something like, oh yeah, like we actually help quite a few of your neighbors and we specialize in taking care of ants... You say it like that, instead of taking care of your problem or killing the ants, it's a small thing that really makes a lot of difference. 
one thing that we try to use a lot in our brand voice at Aruz is like, you know, serve you, right? Like how can we serve yeah. you better, right? Like we love using the term serve just because it has That's a awesome. great image that it portrays in your mind when you hear the term serve. Like how can I better serve you or what else could I do to serve you while I'm here today, right? It's like people are like, oh, I mean, I want to be served, right? And then it, yeah. can, it can take on more things than just pest control, right? It's, and it's those little things that I feel like sometimes really makes the difference. Well, you know, maybe you help take a trash cans up or maybe you help an old lady move something in her garage real quick because she can't do it herself, right? But those things make a huge difference in, in really separating yourself from the competition because in pest control, right, it's like a lot of us are using the same products and, and a lot of us are using the same equipment. So, those things kind of get taken out the window as far as like creating a, a unique difference between you and your competition. So, the only way you can really do a difference in the competition is some of these little things like the details or the serving of, of people. Guys, we're all using the same products. We're all going after a lot of the same technicians. We're using some of the same equipment and all these things. And so if you think you're going to come in and your name like Bugs Be Gone Pest Control is going to make a huge difference, you're wrong. It might stick around with somebody, but it's the fine tuning and the small things that you do to differentiate yourself in the marketplace for sure. Yeah. Some other things that I love that Dawn talks about, and these are some things that she's always helped us kind of with as well, you know, with consulting with Aruza is a lot of these like checks and balances and systems in place to just really make sure you're running efficiently, right? I know we did it a lot when we were first starting out because we didn't have a, a ton of customers yet and it was easy to move things around and we were kind of on like a really first name basis with a lot of our customers until we really started growing. But it's like if it was a poor weather or if it was raining or if there was something going on, like we could just easily reach out and say, hey, we're going to reschedule you for another day. And, you know, maybe towards the end of the month, if it got backed up, you could kind of just crank out a few days of, of services and, and get everything caught up and completed in time. But when you got thousands of customers, you know, you just can't do that, right? It's like you can't reschedule whole entire day worth of customers. Maybe that's 50, 60 customers because maybe your technician's sick or it starts raining in the afternoon or a customer's not home. So, you can't get in the backyard and you have to have the, these procedures and systems in place to make sure that you're maintaining your services, getting them moving forward, keeping those customers routed in the same region together so they're not getting out of service schedules and making sure that your guys are completing the production and the completions so they're getting paid and then you know you address any follow-up type of stuff after the fact. So one thing that Don really helped us kind of instill right off the bat was our non-production procedures. Do you guys have any sort of non-production procedure type of things with your service Alan? Because I know you guys do a lot of area where there's it snows. And I've always been curious like what the service protocols look for you guys in the snow. You know what? It's been a couple of years since I've been like boots on the ground with some of those things. Our COO has kind of developed some things since I've been involved, but we definitely have protocols and we're in states like Massachusetts where there will be several feet of snow on the ground and you can't even drive. Like it's, you know, unless you're an emergency vehicle, like you can't be on the road or whatever. And so we definitely have a step-by-step -step process. And for us, and I think it's important to have these processes because if you, if you have them, then it's not as stressful and after a few years, guys, and we'll get on to Eric Bassett's episode in just a second, but after a few years, 
the weather is no longer an excuse guys. It's not like, yeah. Oh man, it rained. Yeah, really. It rained in Michigan in May. But if you have those processes, the team's aware of them. It's like, yeah, Hey, it's raining way too hard for us to do any type of treatment. We'll go, depending on if it's an initial service, we'll always do the interior, always get that locked down, then just come back and do a non-scheduled perimeter. It just takes a lot of stress off, right? It's like, oh, okay, cool. It's snowing. We've been through this. It's like, no big deal. But when you don't have those processes, you think, especially early on, you're like, oh man, I'm going to lose all these customers. The biggest thing too is if you communicate those processes with the customers effectively, then they're not concerned or upset as well too. Like, yeah. oh, you came and serviced my house in the rain. Like, how can yep. you even do that? Like, nothing, none of it really works. If you've been treating them for a while and the technicians explain things well and the office is explained the same way the technicians are explaining or the sales reps are explaining, right? Like that brand voice, like things just sound yep. the same. Just repetition, hearing it exactly. over and over. Then the customer's like, oh, okay, yeah, no big deal. If you can just send somebody out, you know, here in the next few weeks to touch up this or this because, you know, we weren't able to get to that because of the gate or, or because I wasn't home when I was supposed to be, like I said, so I couldn't get the garage done. My bad. You know, right? It's like the customers aren't going to fuss about it either. But if you don't have that process in place, if you don't have that clear communication and those things do come up, you know, because maybe you are pushed to the gun and you got to, you know, get these yeah. stops done because it's rained two weeks straight and now you're piled up, they'll get upset about that because it's never been done like that before. So, especially if you're just starting out, it's so important to get these done now while it's on a smaller scale and just get the repetition in like you said. So, as that does scale, these processes are just, this is just what we do. This is just how we do things. Yep. Exactly. Love it. All right. Let's talk about episode seven. We had Eric Bassett from Natura on. He's like the marketing and data guru. If you haven't listened to that episode, make sure you go and listen to it. We talked a lot about marketing. He mentioned about you know that his marketing budget is adjusted to get the best ROI. From Proof's perspective, it depends on the season, right? So sometimes it's like, hey, we just need volume or it depends on the branch. It's like, hey, I don't care. I'm going to outbid anybody for this click. Do you guys kind of follow something like that? Or are you guys always focused on one specific marketing metric? We're usually increasing our marketing budget based on the bell curve as well too. And I feel like that's just kind of a traditional way of how things have always been done. Basically, you take a certain percentage of your gross revenue month to month, and then that's kind of what you allocate towards your marketing budget, right? And so, you know, obviously, as you know, typically you're taking on more pest accounts during the busier months, that budget's going to increase even if it's the same percentage. Now, if you determine, okay, we want to go heavier, then you can increase that, that percentage of that gross revenue and put more money towards it. What's unique is I was just at NCPMA event called United We Stand, which NCPMA is North Carolina Pest Management Association. And I was a speaker panelist on this talk about marketing. And the gentleman that was giving the presentation was talking about how most companies are traditionally doing this percentage of gross revenue as their marketing budget. And what he did is he looked at it as a different way where, and I can't remember the exact calculation that he did, but he basically was taking his cost per sale and then he was creating that into a revenue per sale and then was determining, okay, well, how much revenue do I actually want to grow by this year, which would then determine how many sales he needed. So then he determined, you know, basically what his budget was based on that. 
So he was doing it based off of like, at what rate do I want to grow? Like, what do I want my top line to be? And then you figure out, like you back into it, right? So if you, yep. if you're like, you know, I'm at a hundred grand and I want to be at 200 grand and it costs me $250 to acquire a new customer. Then I know that a hundred grand divided by $250 is what my marketing budget is going to be. Exactly. What you're doing then, instead of looking at just throwing money at something to hopefully get an outcome from it, right? You're determining, okay, well, how much do I want to actually get from this? And then that's the budget I set aside for marketing. So you're growing based on how much, you know, because I think with him, what he said is he, he really loves to grow in that 30 to 40% annual range, right? I think that's where he feels comfortable. He can support it. He can maintain that quality of service, right? Because who knows? I mean, you may throw say 6% or 12% of gross in your marketing budget, maybe you're getting too many leads that you can't handle, right? And now right. you're losing some of those in the office. So you're wasting money there, or maybe you can't service them fast enough. It was a very interesting way to look at it. And it definitely made me think. And that's one thing I love about this industry, man, is it just everyone's got these different ways of looking at things. And and it can really kind of get the wheels turning in your head and you're like, For okay, sure. that's that's different, right? It's different than what most people are doing. Yeah, it's different, like kind of gets you thinking about it. And the cool thing about the way he was doing it... So a lot of us, like people ask me like, hey, how much do you throw at marketing? And my first question is, well, you know, which branch? Because they're all different. But for guys like us, we're like, oh, we'll throw everything at it. Yeah. But some companies don't think like that. Some are like, well... You know, I need some balance because I want to feed my family. I want to take distributions or whatever. And so that's a great way to do it is to start with a goal. If you're just talking about using your a percentage of gross revenue, I mean, it's kind of a safe way to do it because the idea is I'm going to keep my margins the same as I'm growing, but it's not really tied to any specific goal. Like that guy, his was tied to a top line revenue goal. Yep. Well, and then the benefit with doing something like that, especially if you are on a smaller scale and you want to control your growth, right? Is that if you're able to streamline your, your efficiency and your effectiveness with your marketing and you're able to get that cost per sale lower, well, then you're left with more budget at the end of the year that you can either put into another budget next year or there's extra profit that you can take into your pocket at the end of the year and, you know, take that trip with your family or, Add the pool in the backyard, whatever it is you yeah. want you want to do, you know, but you're still able to be more effective. But if you're just looking at gross, you're still gonna just be throwing money in there. And even if your marketing is getting more effective or your cost per sale is going down, well now, like we talked about, then now you may end up with more leads or more customers than you were projecting. Yeah. And you may now have to add another employee and another right. vehicle. And more equipment that you maybe didn't budget for in the first place either, right? So I do really like it. Maybe it's not the most effective way for guys like you and I, because we're just like, yeah, bring them on. Like, we'll make it happen. Right. Yeah. But there's a lot of companies that aren't like that, you know? Yeah. I always get pitched like, hey, are you able to take on more customers? And it's like, of course, never will that, the answer to that question be no. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, for some people it is. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's different motivations for the trajectory of our company. So, my closing thought. Saul with Eric's episode, which again, go listen to these episodes if you haven't. Episodes six and seven. It's cool this combination that we're talking about because one is more, you know, there's some branding operation aspects 
And then episode seven with Eric Bassett is more focused on marketing and data. But my closing thought here is know your data with marketing. If if you don't know how much a lead is costing you and you don't know what your close rate is and any commissions are for the sale, you don't know what your cost per customer acquisition is. And if you don't know what your cost per customer acquisition is, which a lot of people listening to this don't, and if you guys need help, reach out to us. Either one of us can help with that. But if you don't know, then how do you know if putting more money into marketing is going to help solve your problems? You've got to have that data. Yeah. I mean, you could literally just be kind of throwing money at at an empty hole and you just suck it in. I mean, and it's something we talk about all the time. And I know you and I share some frustrations in the marketing industry, right? Is like yep. these marketing companies, they will take your money no matter what, yep. right? Whether you're getting the sales or whether you're not getting the sales, they'll keep taking the money and they'll put it somewhere, right? And maybe very hard to understand or identify where the money's exactly. going, but they'll spend it somewhere. And so you need to really know those numbers because, I mean, you really could just be throwing a yep. bunch of money and it may not make sense. Well, and that's the thing is that most of them, they charge based off of ad spend. So if they're doing a pay-per-click campaign for you, the more you spend, they take a percentage of that, right? So the more you spend, the more they make. It's not really based off of whether your company's being successful. That is on the individual owner, the person managing that marketing program yeah. within the company. If you're using a marketing company, and, and Alan, maybe correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but if you're using a marketing company, the last thing that that marketing company should be telling you or giving you the data on to base their success on is how many impressions or clicks they got. What they should be measured by is their cost per lead yep. and inevitably the cost per sale because... I mean, and now the cost per sale could be dictated on your conversion rate, right? Your team closing. But yes. generally, when a call is coming in, your people are generally going to be good enough to close to a degree, right? But if they're getting you the wrong leads that don't fit your company or your service offerings or your area, then yep. you're losing money and you're not able to convert those anyways. I think you're 100% right. I love data in all forms. Your impression rate and your click-through rate, all those things matter but not in terms of whether your marketing team is being successful. The only question that you have to ask a marketer is, what is my cost per lead? My cost per lead. Everything else is up to me. How much am I paying you, including their fee, which sometimes they won't include in a cost per click, yep. but including your fee, how much does it cost me to get a lead? Then I take that data and I'm like, my close rate is XYZ. Now I know what my cost per customer acquisition is. If those leads aren't maybe in your area or service offering, if you are documenting those, that somehow they, a lot of times I feel like they won't add those leads into your calculation as well, which you're still paying for that lead. Exactly. Unless, right. So they'll say, oh, well, this one wasn't in your area. So we didn't add it into this total leads that we gave you, even though you're still paying for it. And that's why you are responsible for getting good data. So that's awesome. All right, man. So that's episode six and seven. Again, if you haven't listened to those, check those out. This is part one of two. We're doing two recaps in a row. So the next episode will be part two of two and we'll be recapping episodes eight and nine. So we got a lot of fire coming on eight and nine as well too. So tune in. 
Yep. Just keep listening. Just another 30, 35 minutes put into your company. So, and Saul and I will, we'll keep doing our job to keep building the next generation of bug money millionaires. Thank you so much for listening to the bug bucks podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please show your support by subscribing and leaving us an honest five-star rating and review on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you. And we'll catch you on the next episode.